0: So yeah, we've been in this um, series on Jonah. We're in our fourth week of uh, of the book of Jonah, and uh, it's almost like chapter three and four are like the second half of Jonah. And we have what I call a do-over. You ever you ever done a do-over, uh, a take two of something, right? Um, you know, where you're working on something, you're trying to get something right, and you and you mess it up, and you're like, oh, "I, I got to do this again. I got to do this again." And I think, you know, perhaps one that a lot of people can relate to today, right, is is the selfie. Yeah. <clears throat> you're tr- you're trying to get that perfect picture to put on Instagram or Facebook, TikTok, whatever you're on, right? And you you take one, and you're like, "Ah, oh, no, no, I, I." I Got to pucker the lips a little bit more, you know. And you you take another, and you're like, "Oh no, there's a little bit of a double chin happening there." Let's change the angle, you know. You do a do-over, right? You you do a take two. Uh, This is very common in um, when I was at music college, or actually in my career as a musician, when you're recording, and you go into the studio, and uh, you usually do numerous takes. Because you start something and you mess up, you're like, I've got to do it again, and you know, or perhaps it was too fast, it was too slow. So you do take two, you do take three. I had I had the nickname in college of one take snape. (laughs) Because I was pretty good at nailing it on the first take. But not always. You had to do a take two, you had to do a take three, a take four. So essentially what we have here in Jonah, here in chapter three, is is a it's a do over. It's a take two. Because verse 1 of chapter 3 here, it's almost identical to verse 1 of chapter 1. Right? It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it, the message I give you. So it's, it's a do-over. And when you think about it, Jonah went through all this strife and trouble and anguish, didn't he? He tried to flee God. He gets on the ship. Huge storm. He gets thrown off the ship. gets... Swallowed by a whale or a big fish for three days. And he essentially went through all that for nothing. Didn't he? He went through all that for nothing. Because nothing has changed on God's end. God has the same plan. His will shall still be done. And this time, Jonah obeys. And on top of that, God's really specific with him. He says... Proclaim to it the message I give you. In other words, God is saying, say exactly what I tell you to. No improvising, no riffing, no ad-libbing, no poetic license, just exactly what I say. And what God wants him to say and proclaim to the city of Nineveh is verse 4. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. We get a little bit more information about the city of Nineveh in verse 3, because it tells us Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Now, when you think about the fact that you can walk across the city of Boston, if you're doing like the Freedom Trail, you can do that in about two to three hours, can't you? That gives you an idea of how big the city of Nineveh was. And when they took about three days to go through it, it could have also meant not literally three geographical days in terms of to get just through the city, but you needed three days to see Nineveh, to experience it. It was, it was a big city. Now I imagine that Jonah, he probably had mixed feelings about going to Nineveh and proclaiming this message. This message, because he would, on the one hand, he's going to feel pretty intimidated, isn't he? Right? Can you, can you imagine here you are, you're a foreign prophet, you're an Israel, Israelite prophet, and you're going into the heart of the enemy. You're going into their main city to proclaim a message from a foreign God to them. You're, you're in the lair, the enemy's lair. And actually this it reminds me of um something about let's see it was probably about 1994 and uh <clears throat> I was a late late teenager and my hometown football team that's soccer to you guys uh Blackburn Rovers Blackburn Rovers they were in a playoff game with Leicester City for promotion into the Premiership the Premier League. I don't know if, if you're a football fan and you know about English football. The Premier League is the top league you can get in. It's a big deal. You're going to be in the same league as Manchester United and Liverpool and Chelsea and Arsenal. And little old Blackburn Rovers have this opportunity. And they, all they had to do was beat Leicester City and they would be promoted to the Premier. And so my brother and I and a group of friends, we drove down to London because it was being held at Wembley Stadium. This is where the game was gone. This was a big deal. So we're up in the north, right? Leicester is closer to London, significantly. So we got to London. And what you typically do at a football game is, you know, you're pre game You go to a few pubs beforehand. And every pub that we went to was packed with Leicester fans. Not a Blackburn Rovers fan in sight. And we're feeling a little nervous because you, you know how the British are in their football, right? It's it can get pretty nasty. And... Uh, Everywhere we went, packed with Leicester fans. And I was really thankful at this point. I wasn't wearing any Blackburn Rovers kind of, you know, that would indicate I was a Rovers fan. (laughs) But we finally found this one pub that had a handful of Blackburn Rovers fans in it. And here's how it was. There was a pub on one side of the road with this handful of Blackburn Rovers fans. A road and then a pub on the other side of the road packed with Leicester fans. I mean, packed. It was a hot, it was a really hot day in London. People had... They're outside the pub, they're they're all drinking and all this kind of stuff. And there's one lone Blackburn Rovers fan on the other side of the street, who I think had probably imbibed a little bit much Fruit of the Vine by then. And he he had his top off. And he's got his beer belly out in its full glory. And he's just one man facing this huge crowd of Leicester fans, the enemy. And he's taunting them. We had a player on our team called David Speedy. That was his name. And he was our top scorer. Incredible player. And he's taunting the Leicester fans going, Speedy's gonna get ya, Speed. And the Leicester fans are freaking out and all this. And there's lots of, you know, chest pumping and all this stuff going on. But here you've got, you've got this one sole individual in the heart of the enemy's lair taunting them. And it's essentially what Jonah was doing. Jonah's, Jonah's going into the city, the lone prophet. And he's like, God's going to get you. <laughs> 40 more days, God's going to get you. And the funny thing is that Jonah, while he was intimidated, I'm sure he had that attitude. God's going to get you. God is going to get you. Because that's what he wanted. He, he didn't want them coming to God and repenting. No, he's like, God's going to get you then the unexpected happens. The Ninevites actually listen to Jonah and they respond. Verse five, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. Hang on a minute. (laughs) No, 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 that's not the desired response. Right? Right? No, no, no. You're not supposed to respond like that. Okay, yeah, I'm proclaiming this message because God has told me to and I tried once not to do that. It didn't work out too well. So I'm giving the message, but I don't want you to respond. I want you to ignore it. And then 40 days from now, I'm going to get the popcorn and watch the show. But they responded. And remember this, Jonah's only a day into his mission here. So after one day people are already responding and, and repenting and you might be thinking at this point really really you're telling me after, after one day of this lone prophet coming in all of a sudden the city's turning around and repenting I mean that'd be like me I'm thinking you know, if I went to Market Basket this, mo- uh, this afternoon after the service and said 40 more days and Bill Ricker shall be overthrown what do you think people would do nothing they'd think it was a loony you know? But they didn't respond this way. How how were they so quick to respond and to repent? Well actually historians looking back at the Assyrian history books and, and, and what we know about them have pointed out that actually at the time frame that Jonah was preaching this message, Assyria had experienced a series of famines, of plagues, of revolts and eclipses. And the Assyrians would have seen all these things that were happening over this period. And they would have interpreted those as a sign that judgment was coming, that God was going to be bringing judgment. So now you can understand that the groundwork's been laid. When all of a sudden a prophet comes in their midst and says 40 days from now, judgment is coming. They might have suddenly sat up and taken notice. It's possible that God was preparing the way for Jonah and the Ninevites were ripe to hear the message of God. You know, we have to wonder if uh, if the same thing's going on today. With what we're experiencing in our society. Right. There's, There's no question there was something very, very significant about the pandemic, wasn't there? Which we're technically still not out of. Right. But. That's changed a lot of things. And I think we're going to be seeing the repercussions of that for years to come. There's definitely something going on. And I wonder if God is allowing things to degrade and to t- deteriorate that we're seeing going on around in our country. I wonder if he's allowing that because he knows in his wisdom that at the right time, this will lead or could lead to a place of regional and national repentance and returning to Him. And boy, do we desperately need that. Whether we respond as readily as the Ninevites did, well, that remains to be seen, doesn't it? In Nineveh, though, the, the word is spreading fast and the word gets to the king. Verse six, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, <coughs> took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. What you're seeing right there is true leadership. True leadership. Leadership, Because the king doesn't turn around and he doesn't say, well, let the peasants eat cake. No, he himself, he humbles himself. He realizes his own need and the need of the city to repent, to pay heed, to listen to God's messenger. Imagine if we saw that with our own leaders. Imagine if we saw that with our leaders who are in positions of power and authority. Imagine them seeing them humble themselves. I know I'm asking you to imagine a lot. But if they humbled themselves and led the nation in repentance, how amazing would that be? If they showed us how we have turned from God and encouraged us to turn from violence and evil going on. Because that's what the king does here. That's what a leader does. That's what the king did here. And he issues a decree. He issues a decree, right? It's not not all talk. There's action here. And he issues a decree, and it has three major action points. Number one, everyone, including the animals, is to fast and to wear sackcloth. That's step one. And this was an extreme fast. This was, like a, this was a hardcore fast because it's no food and no drink, no liquid. This shows us how serious this was. Well, Why, why fasting and wearing sackcloth? Any, any of you worn sackcloth before? It's not very comfortable. But these, these are forms of self-denial. Sackcloth, it's itchy, it's uncomfortable, it's, it's rough, it's scratchy. And fasting, denying yourself the pleasure of eating, and in this case drinking, that's uncomfortable too, because we like our food. But these, these are basic necessities of life, aren't they? Food and clothing. And so by denying yourself these, you're showing God that you are focused on him and not on, on earthly things. It shows that you're serious about what he has to say and you're serious about seeking him. So that's the first one. Fasting and sackcloth. Secondly, the king says, let everyone call urgently on God. Let everyone call urgently on God. That's a fancy way of saying pray. Pray. And I don't I, I don't know if many of us are there yet in terms of that feeling, that sense of urgency, of seeking God urgently. Because, you know, if we were, I think our Wednesday night prayer would be packed. We have a faithful core of believers who, who are there every week praying. But if we were really serious about that urgency of prayer, it would be packed. It would be busier than our Sunday mornings. And it wouldn't be just prayer one night a week. Leonard Ravenhill, a pastor, said this, quote, I believe most of us will need the tears wiped from our eyes when the books are opened at the judgment bar of God and our personal prayer record is read. Because we'll realize how little we prayed when we could have prayed so much more. The third thing that the King calls on everyone is to give up their evil ways and their violence. Give up their evil ways and their their violence. You know, I, I detailed earlier in our series about just how brutal the Assyrians were. Even for the times they were living in, they were brutal. They skinned their opponents alive. They displayed their heads on spears around the city. They were just brutal, brutal people. But it seems even the Assyrians had become aware of how that kind of life of violence and depravity, it's not sustainable for any society. This way of life, a society that lives like this, will eat away at and corrode the social fabric. We are seeing a similar phenomenon today happening around us. Random acts of violence are daily, if not hourly. Road rage, complete lack of tolerance for opposing views and beliefs. I saw someone holding a sign the other day that said, stop hating each other because you disagree. Stop hating each other because you disagree. I don't care if you disagree with me. It's not going to stop me loving you. We all need to grasp hold of that truth. You know, within days of the Uvalde mass shooting, that horrific event last week, right, we had another one in Tulsa, Oklahoma. But most people barely... Battered an eyelid because, hey, it was only four people who got shot this time. Historian Arnold Toynbee, he said this, quote, Great civilizations are not murdered, they commit suicide. They start eating themselves from the inside out. And there's actually, there's a passage in Isaiah that illustrates powerfully how a society can destroy and eat itself. Listen to The words here of Isaiah 9, verses 19 to 21. By the wrath of the Lord Almighty, the land will be scorched and the people will be fuel for the fire. They will not spare one another. On the right, they will devour, but still be hungry. On the left, they will eat, but not be satisfied. Each will feed on the flesh of their own offspring. Manasseh will feed on Ephraim, Ephraim on Manasseh. Together, they will turn against Judah. You see what's going on there? We see how they're both sides in a society devour one another. And what that scripture tells us is that's actually, that's an outworking of God's wrath. It begins by the wrath of the Lord Almighty. You see, you know, God's wrath It's one of these uncomfortable topics we don't like to talk about. We love talking about God's love. God is love. And yes, he is. There would not be any love possible in this world were it not for God. But God also has wrath. And that's because he's also a God of justice and of holiness. And if God was not wrathful towards evil, there could be no justice. So his wrath is important, as uncomfortable as it might be to talk about. And often we imagine that God's wrath is, is manifested by fire and brimstone and swift destruction of evil and depravity. And sure, that can be the case. But God's wrath can also look like allowing the allowing of social decay and moral decline. And I think that's what we're seeing in our society right now. As a society, we've we've pushed out God from the public forum. We've rejected the authority of his word. We've denied the reality of God. We just say, well, he doesn't exist, so I'm not accountable to him. And God's not happy. He's not happy with... Many of the cultural values we're currently embracing and accepting are not only accepting, but outright celebrating. And his wrath is already at work as we see this this moral rot, this decline taking place in our society. Tim Keller said, without understanding the wrath of God, it is impossible to fully understand why so many societies, empires, institutions and lives break down. So here with Nineveh, the social and moral decay, it's gotten so bad that God has given them a 40-day notice. It's like an eviction notice has been pinned to the city of the walls of Nineveh. 40 days and you're done. You're out. And the king gives them this three-point plan that we just talked about. Fasting, sackcloth, calling urgently on God and giving up their evil ways and violence. Desperate times require desperate measures. And then the king says something really interesting, right? He says, who knows? God may yet relent and compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And what happens? Exactly that. Exactly that. Verse 10. When God saw that they, what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. God has seen the Ninevites turn around and repent of their evil and their violence. And so what does God do? He relents. He doesn't destroy the city, but he has compassion on them. You see, God's mercy and his forgiveness and his compassion, they are for everyone. For all people. Jonah didn't like that, by the way. He just wanted it for Israel. And the rest of those pagans out there, no, no, they, they can't, they can't have my God's compassion and forgiveness and mercy, but God's mercy and his forgiveness and his compassion, they are for everyone, for all people, and you know what that means? That means you too, that means you too, because I know there's perhaps, perhaps you've done something in your life, or you've done multiple things in your life that you are ashamed of, that you're deeply ashamed of. That you feel like God could never forgive you for. Perhaps actually the shame holds you back at church. Perhaps it holds you back from committing to and serving and getting involved in a ministry or small group. Because you're thinking if they only knew. If they only knew what I've done. If they, if they only knew what I did five years ago. What I did yesterday. They, there's no way. There's no way you would accept me. There's no way that God could forgive me. Well God does know. And he's a God of mercy, forgiveness, and compassion. And just like the Ninevites, he delights in giving you his mercy, forgiveness, and compassion when you come to him with a repentant heart. Second Peter 3, verse 9. This, this verse, somebody needs to hear this today. Somebody needs to hear this verse. I don't know if you're sitting here in the pews or you're watching it on, but you need to hear this. 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. He is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Do you hear those very definite words there? God does not want Anyone, not just some folks. He doesn't want anyone to perish. And he wants everyone, not just some folks. He wants everyone to come to repentance. That is God's desire for all of us. That is his desire for all of us. Yes, God has wrath because he's just and he's holy. But he doesn't want that for you. He doesn't want that for me or for anybody. Because he loves you. He loves you. God delights in giving us second chances and third chances and fourth chances. He gives us do-overs all the time and second takes. And, you know, if we're repentant, we call urgently on him and we turn from our evil ways. Then it's it's right there for us. It's right there for us. Now here, in this chapter of Jonah, there's something actually pretty incredible to think about. And this is getting into some tricky theology a little bit. I may ruffle a few feathers here, but I'm trying to look at exactly what the text says. How we behave and how we respond or don't to God can actually influence how God responds to us. Think about it. God sent Jonah to Nineveh to deliver a message, right? Saying 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That was the message. That was the prophetic message that was given. So if the people of Nineveh had not changed their ways, had not repented, if they'd scoffed at Jonah and said, get out of here, what are you talking about? They would have been destroyed. God's judgment and wrath would have fallen on the city and that would have been the end of them. But instead they listened. They fasted. They wore sackcloth, they cried out to God with urgency and they stopped their evil and violent ways and God relented. He changed course. What changed? They did. The Ninevites changed. And as a result, God changed his course of action. Well, if it was true then, it's true today. Today. When we repent and we turn away from sin in our life, when we change and when we allow God to change us, God changes towards us from wrath and judgment to mercy, forgiveness and compassion and love. That's what the cross did. It made the change possible. And when we call with urgency and earnestness in prayer and intercession, God acts. Look, folks, prayer really does change things. Don't, don't let our secular and frankly clueless society tell you otherwise. Prayer changes things. How many disasters, how many atrocities, how many evil schemes of the devil have been staved off and thwarted by our prayers and the prayers of the saints through the ages? Have you ever thought about that? More than we'll ever know. Because there are there are so many things that didn't happen because we prayed against them. Think about that for a moment. Prayers are not always about seeing results. Sometimes prayer is about preventing something that you'll never see because your prayers reach the ears of the Lord. God, in his graciousness, allows us, human beings, to be part of how his plan unfolds. It's one of the amazing things about God. God God has a heart of collaboration. Do you know that? He could do it all himself. He could micromanage every little thing. But what God does is he invites us to be part of his plan. And God, he designed it that way from the beginning. That we would be co-laborers. That we would collaborate with God in his creation. God wants to work with us, not against us. But wait. I know what some of you are thinking. When's this going to be over? No, you're thinking. <laughs> you're thinking if God can change his mind about something, can he still be trusted? Can, can we still rely on him? And this is where we hit one of the, the major theological issues of this chapter it's this issue of contingency and divine sovereignty. What? (laughs) Contingency and divine sovereignty. What on earth do those fancy words mean? Well, basically it means this. Is God's sovereignty, in other words, his being in control of all things, is that contingent, in other words, does it depend on human actions? Yeah? Simply put, does God being in control of all things depend on human actions? Well, the simple answer is no. No. Just because God chooses to work with us, and choose is the word here, That does not mean that he's not fully in control and does not know all things and all outcomes. That doesn't change. But when God does change course, it's almost always in one direction. It's always from judgment to grace. It always involves relenting on some punishment and judgment that was coming because his people have turned from their evil ways. So when God does change course, when he looks like he changes his mind, it's not God being unreliable. It's actually an act of mercy, forgiveness and compassion, which is God being consistent with his character. That he's promised through his word. Listen to Jeremiah 18 verses 7 to 10. Because this is how God lays it out through his word. God says, if at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted and it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. Do you see? God is just being consistent with his character when he relents against Nineveh. It's what he promised he would do. He's saying, I laid it out for you in clear terms. That we'll, This is what will happen if you take option A and this is what will happen if you take option B. And God is faithful to his word. That's how we know God can always be trusted and that he is our rock and our anchor. He is always consistent and faithful to his word. And Jonah's not happy about that. He doesn't like that. And we're going to find out next week what Jonah's reaction is to all that. Next week we'll be concluding our series on Jonah. Okay, so as we wrap up here, <clears throat> like last week, there's, there's a lot to, to take away from Jonah this week. So I want to leave you with four takeaways that I think are important here. Number one, no matter how far gone things might seem, No matter how dark things might get, there is always hope and the promise that God will relent of coming judgment when we repent. His word declares it. His word promises it. So if you're feeling hopeless and dark right now with everything you've seen about it, remember. There is always the hope that God will bring revival rather than judgment. Secondly, if that's true for a whole city, it's true for you and I too. If we repent and we turn away, God's judgment will be gone. And instead, God's favor will enter our lives. Thirdly, our actions and especially our prayers have the power to change the course of history. They really do. And lastly, God is always faithful to his word. Let's pray.